Well, good morning. I think it's still morning. Uh, good to be with you all today. My name is Father Matt Ainsley. I'm the assistant rector uh, over at the Church of the Ascension in Orlando, Florida. And I'm the prospective vicar of All Souls Episcopal Church, which is a new church plant coming to the Horizon West area. If you're familiar with that 429 corridor where it was all orange groves and nothing, and now it's something. It's a lot of things going on. And excited to be here. And as Mother Tracy talked about during the announcements, you know, our churches, those three churches, uh, have a, a lineage and a relationship. It's so cool to me that I'm at this church plant, Ascension, planted by this church in 1980, and now they're going to go out and do that again and continue to expand the kingdom of God. And so I'm honored to be with you guys. Uh, I'm excited. Thank you for having me. And it's a privilege to get to preach the gospel to you uh, this morning. So one of our confessions of faith that we have uh, in Christianity is called the Apostles' Creed. And we confess in the Apostles' Creed that we believe in the communion of saints. And in Hebrews 11 and 12, that was our epistle reading uh, just moments ago, and even just in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, uh, we find uh, this robust doctrine of the communion of saints. And, and that's not all we find. Uh, packed into just two verses is the nature of the church, the nature of the Christian life, the focus of the Christian life, and actually the means for living the Christian life. Therefore, since we are surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us and run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. So as it pertains to the communion of saints, we see immediately that the church, uh, the family of God, the body of Christ, is comprised both of the living and the dead. Think about that. What did, what did Jesus say? He said in, in the Gospel of Mark that God is the God of the living. And the dead in Christ are active in the life of the church. They're active first through their legacy, through their exemplary faith and faithfulness. They impact us. They impact the church here on earth. Hebrews 11 chapter 4, it says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he received approval as righteous, God bearing witness by accepting his gifts. He died, but through his faith, he is still speaking. The saints, though long dead, many of them, still speak. And the dynamic you know, this dynamic of the faithful of old impacting the faithful of today is at work in this church plan. I remember when we announced at Church of the Ascension uh, that we were going to do this, and Father Jim, who's the rector over there, told everyone, hey, look to your right, look to your left, and he reminded them that if it wasn't for that 30 or 40 people from Church of the Messiah back in 1980, leaving 
what was comfortable and going out into the wilderness, which was Dr. Phillips at the time, right? We wouldn't be here. Reminding them that we're the fruit, in part, of their faithfulness. And then he said, you know, it's time for us to do, as a church, uh, what was done for us. We, we were inspired by the faithfulness of those who had gone before us. And if you look at a picture, I wish I, I should have brought it, opportunity missed, but there's a, a great picture of that first group from Church of the Messiah. They had their first service down in Windermere Town Hall. And there are 30 or 40 of them as their first service, super excited. And if you look at that picture, most of the people in that picture are now with the Lord. Though dead, they still speak. But beyond that, um, beyond legacy, we get this image in Hebrews chapter 12 of an arena surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. They're cheering us on and encouraging. And we learn from Scripture also that, believe it or not, uh, the dead pray, right? The, the Greek uh, word for uh, witness, this great cloud of witnesses, is martyr. And we learn from Hebrews chapter 11, as we, we just heard, that there are many uh, who are recounted, who gave that ultimate witness, who, who spilled their blood for the sake of the gospel. They gave their lives. And what do we see in Revelation chapter 6? We see the witnesses. We see the souls of the martyr, martyrs before the throne of God petitioning God to act, petitioning him for justice, petitioning him that God fully and finally would your kingdom come on earth as in heaven. So those who have gone before us, they speak, and they pray, and they worship. The dead and the living are united in the worship of Almighty God. We're united in adoration around the throne of God and the Lamb. We're united in adoration of the crucified and risen Jesus. I mean, there is one body of Christ, and that this is the case that we are united, that we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses is, no, is nowhere more apparent, nowhere more present than it is right now in the Holy Eucharist. What is it that we're going to pray in just a few moments? Therefore, we praise you, joining with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. Heaven and earth come together in the life of the church. And remembering that, remembering that the saints are around the throne of God and the Lamb, worshiping the triune God. Remembering that, um, it helps keep uh, the cult of the saints from going off the rails. And sometimes when we talk about the communion of saints, people get nervous. I understand that. Um, I was raised Southern Baptist. Someone detected that in the earlier service, believe it or not. You know, my, my preaching has not converted to Anglicanism yet, but uh, m maybe eventually. Um, but we don't honor or venerate the saints in lieu of Christ, instead of Christ, but because of Christ and because of their love for Christ. Therefore, since we are surrounded with a great cloud of witnesses, what do we do next? We fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So the saints don't lead us away from Christ, but to Christ. We follow them as they follow Jesus. 
And isn't that exactly what the Apostle Paul told the churches? He said, follow me as I follow Christ. That's the way it works. And following Christ, being a member of the church, being in communion with the saints, as we learn in Hebrews chapter 11, it means sacrifice and oftentimes suffering. Part of being united with Christ is being united with him in his suffering. Through baptism, we're united with him in his ultimate suffering, his death. And then Paul says, I'm always carrying around in my body the dying of the Lord Jesus. There's this recognition that that life in the kingdom is cross-shaped and that the kingdom comes through the cross. The kingdom comes through the cross. Think about the death of Jesus and even just Hebrews 12 too, who for the joy set before him, right, that's the salvation of the world, that's the, the worship and adoration of the Father, he endured the cross despising the shame and then sat down at the right hand of God. He went through suffering to glory. His coronation on the cross was just that indeed a crucifixion. Through the suffering servant, of Isaiah 53, and his suffering servants, Hebrews 11, the kingdom of God comes on earth as in heaven. Right after Jesus died, what what happens? The veil is torn in the temple, right? Because the presence of God, heaven, heaven is God's dwelling place and his creation, which was formerly limited under the old covenant to the holy of holies, With the death of Christ, the life of heaven floods earth. The cruciformity of the kingdom, that is, the cross-shaped nature of the Christian life, which which Jesus in the Gospels doesn't do a bait and switch. He he says, "If, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So Jesus isn't like, this is going to be really great. Then he gets people in. Like, actually, it's going to be really, really difficult. On the front end, he's just up front. This is going to be tough. He tells his disciples, if they persecuted me, they hated me, they're going to hate you. He calls us into this. And that's borne out in today's gospel, Luke 12. A, a, peculiar, a peculiar gospel at first read. Jesus asked, do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? And when I read that, it always makes me laugh because it's the gospel of Luke. And in chapter two of that very same gospel, when Jesus is born, the angels are announcing what? Glory to God to the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. So I'm like, yeah, Jesus, I I do think that's what you were going to bring because that's what the angels said. So what does it mean? What's going on here? What does it mean that Christ brings peace on the one hand and the sword on the other? It's because to bring true peace is to reconcile the world to God, to make the world as it ought to be, to unite us with God. And there are principalities, there are powers, there are people who are resistant to God's vision for God's world. One scholar wrote that genuine peace has division as a byproduct, 
Because not everyone wants the truth. And we've probably experienced that in our lives, maybe even in our own families. The conflict and confrontation that can come when we follow Jesus Christ. So being united with Christ, being a member of his body, it includes sacrifice and, and often suffering. So we see in, in our epistle today the communion of saints, the, the nature of the church, the nature of the Christian life, the focus of the Christian life, which is Jesus. And finally, there's the how of the Christian life. How is it that we, we run the race well? Well, first, again, by remembering the faithful that have gone before us, allowing their uh, example to inspire us to follow them as they followed Christ. Second, by, as the text tells us, laying aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us. So what we do is we put off the things of the old nature, of the old self, of the old life, because guess what? In our baptism, we die to all that. We die to sin. We die to self. We die to this world. We're only alive with Christ, to Christ, and for Christ. And having laid aside our weights, we run with endurance, right? The Christian life, this life in general, honestly, it takes endurance. And endurance, by the way, that's not fueled by our own sense of resolve or our own power, but by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. The Christian life is not about pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and, and doing better in our own strength. It's about cooperating with the grace that we have in Jesus Christ by the Spirit. So, so we endure. And then finally, and this is the beginning, middle, and end of living the Christian life, we fix our eyes on Jesus. We fix our eyes on the crucified and risen Messiah. We're always facing the cross in our prayer, in our, in our worship, in our life, in the sacraments. I mean, in the sacrament, that's the way that we can say with Paul that we're always carrying around in our bodies the death of the Lord Jesus. He's the goal. The crucified and risen one is, is the goal to which we run. And it might be more difficult for us to focus than any generation in history. It's, we can be so distracted with all that we have going on, with all the different world rules and all the, the tech. And I'm not being a Luddite up here that technology is bad as the problem. But we live in a very distracting world with a lot of different claims to truth. And we need to be steeped in. We need to saturate. We need to get in the, the crock pot of the kingdom, right? And be marinated in the things of God. He's the goal to which we run. As Paul says, to know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. He is the starting point of our theology. He's the object of our adoration. He's the source of our strength in the midst of suffering. We have a great high priest who, who knows what it is to be human. has been tempted and tried in every way that we have been yet without sin. Thanks be to God. 
And he is our fuel for mission. We must always be focused on him, the crucified and risen one. We, almost, we must always, in our heart, we must be facing the cross. We must always be, as the, the great hymn says, surveying the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. And as we do that, that changes us. It changes the whole orientation of our life so that we can say with the hymn, that, that the, the crucified and risen Lord, this the act of love and shedding his, his blood and giving his life so that we could have life in him, that it demands our life, our soul, and our all. That we can say with Paul that I've determined to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. And by grace, brothers and sisters, if we would just... If we would just surrender, right, this morning, just surrender and allow God to transform us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, then we can become those of whom the world is not worthy. We can join that great cloud of witnesses through Christ, not in our own strength, but by the Spirit, not for our own glory, but to the glory of God the Father. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.